TV and newspaper journalists hammered Donald Trump with negative news stories last week, and as a result, Trump's poll numbers rose dramatically. The journalists are baffled. Chief anchor of ABC News, George Sokolopoulos, said, quote, I can't understand it. I know I'm usually a hack for the Clintons who recently gave them $75,000 without telling my ABC bosses about it. But when I report on Donald Trump, I'm being a serious journalist. No, really, look, this is my serious journalist face. See how serious it is? So why won't anyone believe me? I don't know what's going on, unquote. Anchor and editor of the CBS Evening News, Natty Leishmucker, also said he was mystified that no one would believe his negative reports about Trump. He told reporters, quote, look at this suit and tie and this haircut. This is the suit and haircut of a man who really seems to be on the up and up, even when he skews the news so badly to the left that his own reporters don't want their stories appearing on his show. Also, my diction, it's impeccable. How can you distrust someone with diction like mine? I sound exactly like someone who's telling the truth, unquote. Former NBC anchor Brian Williams, now working at MSNBC for some reason, issued a statement saying, it is time for the public to listen to our negative Trump stories. I myself first met Donald Trump while parachuting into Afghanistan with SEAL Team 6 during our attempt to restore the rightful King of Narnia. While clearing terrorists out of caves in Tora Bora, I met a strange blue creature whose soul had been atrophied by his attachment to a magical invisibility ring. That creature was Donald Trump, and anyone who thinks I'm making that up is no better than the ISIS soldier I had to strangle with my bare hands while reporting from the ground in Syria. Unquote. According to Bob Woodward, the Washington Post has assigned 20 reporters to investigate every aspect of Trump's life. When asked if the Post would also assign 20 reporters to Hillary Clinton, Woodward said, absolutely, it takes that many just to carry the train of her dress. New York Times editor Natty Leishmucker, no relation to the guy from CBS News, it's just a common name among mainstream journalists, issued a statement saying, quote, I know the Times sacrificed every last ounce of credibility we had covering up for Barack Obama during his lies about Bill Ayers, his lies about Reverend Wright, the IRS scandal, the Obamacare collapse, the Benghazi scandal, and his role in the deterioration of the Middle East. But when we report on Donald Trump, by golly, we really mean it. And finally, CNN's Wolf Blitzer complained to a colleague saying, quote, during Hurricane Katrina, I said, boy, oh boy, George W. Bush is to blame for that. When Democrats destroyed the economy, I said, boy, oh boy, George W. Bush is to blame for that. Now when I say, boy, oh boy, Donald Trump is a bad guy, everyone just thinks I'm the wolf who cried boy. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. <laughs> All right, I couldn't, I couldn't resist, I couldn't resist, only because it was so accurate, it was so real. All right, we're Radio Free America is back on the air, broadcasting from a satellite within my imagination. Far, far outside of, the, of reality and the rest of the world. We, we want you to subscribe to support the last voices of freedom on the air. And also, also because, because Lindsay is always yelling at me that I don't promote myself enough. Over the weekend, I'm, you know, I checked these ratings of the top news and politics uh, podcasts on the air on iTunes. And for a, a brief moment there, we were number 50, one point ahead of the mighty Glenn Beck, my friend Glenn Beck, who's normally on a normal day is ahead of us. But this was a so please subscribe. And if you like the show, put it on your Facebook page, send it, you know, get get grandma on the blower and <laughs> dial her up on the blower and tell her about it. But spread, spread the news. Let people know. All right. We had a great uh, weekend despite, you know, listen, the, the end of the republic is not getting in the way of us having a good time. And, you know, I have put off uh, saying congratulations to our friend Ben Shapiro on the birth of his beautiful 
absolutely beautiful little boy. Well, what? This is a mystery of nature that Shapiro has kids who a look like him and b are very attractive. That doesn't make absolutely. I mean, it's the, same, it's the same thing with his sisters. They look like him and they're beautiful. I don't understand it. It's like more than more than nature can explain. Hey, can these things be? I don't know. So we all went. We all went to the bris, which is a uh, Jewish ceremony. When you have a new kid, you get together and you sacrifice a gentile to your dark Jewish gods. I think that's isn't that, <laughs> that, was, that was maybe I misunderstood what was happening. I don't know. <laughs> it was a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. And I have to just say before we get to the news of the day, I have to I have to just say as we were standing sitting there, because we were, we were kind of the Goyesha table. We were, the, the, the Daily Wire was there in force. And, and I had, as I was sitting there, I was thinking, you know, I haven't been invited to a Babylonian, you know, ceremony lately. I, don't, I can't remember the name of their god, Zarduk or something like that. But, you know, I, and I haven't been invited to worship Athena or like any of the Jupiter or any of those old gods. So all these guys from the alt-right, all these dirtbags from the alt-right who have been hammering Ben with anti-Semitic uh, twi tweets, and me too. I mean, I'm a Christian, but I was born a Jew, and I never want anyone to think that I was trying to escape Judaism by embracing Christ. That was totally different thing, so I welcome all your anti-Semitic. Please, please go ahead and attack me. But, but all those people should reflect for a minute that when this civilization passes away, the Jews are still going to be here. You know, they might want to, you might need them to put in a good word for you as the hordes are descending on the ruins of your civilization. So be nice, alt right. Don't don't mess around. All right, we have to look at this. I I know I did the opening about this thing with the media, but we really have to look at this. This is one of the most revealing moments on the left. It is just a revelation of what has happened to our institutions in general, but to the news media more than anything else. I mean, they, last week and into the weekend, they hammered Donald Trump with everything they've got. And just before I start, I'm just going to reiterate my own point of view, is that I have really, really deep misgivings about Donald Trump because of his tendency toward violence, his call to beat up hecklers, his sympathy with Putin, his sympathy with the Chinese when they destroyed people in Tiananmen Square. All those things make him anomalous to me. They make the arguments, the usual right-left arguments, they eclipse those arguments for me. So I really have deep misgivings, even though I haven't said I'm never Trump, because something could happen that changes everything. The rapture could come, and as I'm floating into heaven, I might want to stick it to you people stuck on earth. One last time I'm voting for Trump. But, but that's where I stand. However, however, if anybody, anybody is making Trump look great, it is the mainstream media. They keep hurling this garbage at him. And the and they can't understand why it doesn't stick. The New York Times, a former newspaper, had this wail, this cri de cœur, a cry of, of frustration. How much bad press does it take to cost Donald Trump a news cycle? That's the headline in the New York Times, like Friday. How much bad press does it take? With few exceptions, Donald Trump's week in the news was a blur of unflattering reports. His refusal to disclose his effective tax rate eclipsed an audio tape of him posing as his own spokesman. That, in turn, upstaged reports about his former butler saying racist, violent things about President Obama, which had already overtaken Mr. Trump's waffling over his own call for a ban on Muslims entering the country. But Mr. Trump somehow seemed to win the news cycle anyway. You can just hear them like tearing out their hair at the New York Times office. He is the first candidate to truly take advantage of the fact we are an ADD society, said J. Tucker Martin, a Republican communications strategist in Virginia. He moves so quick and creates outrages so fast you almost forget what happened. That's 
total malarkey. That is not what's happening at all. What's happening at all is that the, the messengers are worse than the message. The people who are bringing the news are untrustworthy, and the things that they are talking about, the things they are talking about, are largely nonsense. I mean, first of all, the unfairness. Let, let's take a look. Bob Woodward really did say that the Washington Post said proudly that the Washington Post had assigned 20 reporters to pick apart Donald Trump's life. And here's Chris Wallace challenging him on that. As saying that the Washington Post has 20 people working on every phase of Donald Trump's life. Uh, that's correct. We've announced a month ago that we're doing a book and we're going to do stories as uh, this evolves. The equivalent effort will be made on Hillary Clinton. I mean, it's traditional and I think particularly uh, in this campaign, which is one of those pivot points uh, in the history of the country, we need to tell people everything we can find out. And that uh, means a massive effort. Are you making an equal effort? Because I something that we're hearing from folks, an equal effort on Hillary Clinton. you got 20 people on her. Yeah, well, it's not necessarily the number of people. It's who's working on it. So you got smarter people right on Hillary. No, no. <laughs> the answer to that question was no. We haven't got to On Hillary, why would why would we cover Hillary? I don't understand. What, what you, I'm sorry, you're not speaking mainstream media now. I do not, they do not speak this language. They're just totally unfair. Do we have the clip of Charlie Rose? I think I sent in the clip of Charlie Rose interviewing one of Obama's speechwriters, right? The guy who wrote, this is the guy who wrote the line, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Just watch this for a minute. This is Charlie Rose interviewing this speechwriter who looks like he's about 15 years old. The point is that do you have equal impact on serious speeches because it's about style, use of language, et cetera? Uh, I really like, I was very, the, the joke speech is the most fun part of this, but the things I'm the most proud of were the more serious speeches, I think. Healthcare, um, uh, economic speeches, and I think I... Lovett wrote the line about, um, if you like your insurance, you can keep it. How dare you. <laughs> <laughs> Huge impact. And you know what? It's still true. No. It's still <laughs> Charlie Rosen laughing. He lied to people. You got this major bill that's sucking the economy into the... <laughs> you know, how am I supposed to take Charlie Rose seriously if, he, if it's fine with him that they lie? The New York Times ran a piece showing that they lied about the Iran deal. It's fine. That was fine. But now we're supposed to believe them about Donald Trump. So let's take a look at some of these stories. The first big one is Trump pretended during his divorce from whichever one it was, his divorce, he pretended to be his own PR guys. And he calls up, and it really is funny, he calls up the Washington Post and he says, like, frankly, his, he called himself John Miller. It was like, frankly, this is John Miller and Donald Trump, believe me, is huge. Believe me. So like, how could you? Here's, here's a clip of him pretending to be somebody else. What kind of comment is, is coming from either your agency or from, from Donald? Uh, well, it's just that uh, he really decided that he wasn't, uh, you know, he didn't want to Oh, 
okay, that's weird. That's just a little weird. And Trump, Trump keeps changing his story. Before, he said it was a prank, and now he's saying it never happened. It's, you know, he doesn't know. That's definitely weird. But let's compare it for just a minute to the stories about Mitt Romney tied his dog's cage to the top of the car, which I'm sure was the best thing that ever happened to that dog. That dog is probably still sitting around going, ah, you know, I would think back. I remember that time. I love that. You know how dogs are. They love the wind blowing over them. So that, and he bullied a kid in high school, and we were supposed to care because that showed that showed he hated gay people because the kid had long hair. I mean, we're so used to these guys dynamiting Republican candidates with garbage while at the same time ignoring felonies from the Democrats, true, cruel felonies. I mean, the joke about the dog on the roof was that Barack Obama in his memoir said he ate dogs. He ate dogs while in Ken Kenya. So, so, I mean, they just constantly do this. So who cares? So who cares? Uh, you know, it's weird. It's weird. He did that. It's hilarious. It's funny. But I mean, does it matter? The country's in bad shape. Do we care that he did it? No, nobody cares. And here is their big one. This one I love. This is the Times. This has been trending on the New York Times all weekend. This is like their top story all weekend about how Donald Trump treated women. Okay. Uh, well, I'll read just a little bit first before I comment on it. Crossing the line, it's called. This is the objective New York Times. Crossing the line, how Donald Trump behaved with women in private. You know, this is something that all men really want exposed is how they behave with women in private. So you got 50% of the public that doesn't care. And, and women, too, are thinking, it's in private. It was in private. <laughs> Leave him alone. All right. Donald J. Trump, had. this is the lead. Donald J. Trump had barely met Roanne Brewer Lane when he asked her to change out of her clothes. And then he goes on to this, tell this completely you know, kind of silly story about a model was at one of his parties at Mar-a-Lago and he asked her to put on a bikini or something like this. And she was a model, you know, so she did it and he then went out and showed her off to anyway. All right. And then he goes on after telling this hideous story about how this man asked a girl to put on a bikini. Donald Trump and women, the words evoke a familiar cascade of casual insults. It sounds like I wrote it as a joke, doesn't it? The words evoke a familiar cascade of casual insults hurled from the safe distance of a Twitter account, a radio show, or a campaign podium. This is the public treatment of some women by Mr. Trump. For, uh, the presumptive Republican nominee for president, degrading, impersonal, performed, but... The 1999 episode at Mar-a-Lago that Mrs. Brewer Lane described was different, a debasing face-to-face -face, face encounter between Mr. Trump and a young woman. The accounts of these women, many relayed here in their own words, reveal unwelcome romantic advances, unending commentary on the female form, a shrewd reliance on ambitious women, and unsettling workplace conduct, according to the interviews. See, because... No one at the New York Times has ever actually had sex with a woman. You know, none of the men, none of the men, I should say, have had sex. They don't realize this is normal behavior among men and women. We, you know, we tease each other and flirt with each other. And rich men get a lot of girls. I mean, rich, powerful men get a lot of girls, and girls will step a, a little over the line for a rich guy. We all know it's true. They just don't know this. You know, really? Really? This is like, this is like when, when, let, let's take a look, just pause for a minute, though, and take a look at the woman herself who was involved in this story about putting on a b bikini. She was on Fox News. They did take quotes from what I said, and they put a negative connotation. They spun it to where it, it appeared negative. Um, I did not have a negative experience with Donald Trump, mm -hmm. and I don't appreciate them making it look like that I was saying that it was a negative experience. Because you knew it was him not. very well, right? You dated him for several months? That's correct. 
Yes, and he was never, he never made me feel like um, I was being demeaned in any way. Uh, he never offended me in any way. Um, he was very gracious. I saw him around all types of people, all types of women. Um, he was, he was very kind, thoughtful, generous. Uh, you know, he was a gentleman. <laughs> Ruh -ruh. <laughs> it's, like, you know, it's like the New York Times. No one at the New York Times has ever been on a date. I mean, this is the thing. You know. Wait, wait. First, first, men with women. I've, I've never, I've never heard of this thing. Men who actually think they're men with women who think they're women. No, I, I've never seen this thing before. So it's like they're reporting from Mars about this thing that we here on Earth do. So it's, you know what, what it reminds me of. A slightly tragic version of this. It reminds me of during the war when George W. Bush was president. Every soldier who was killed was a front page New York Times story. And of course, every time an American soldier is killed, it is a vast tragedy, but it's not a news story. Soldier killed in war is not a news story. That's what war is. It's soldiers getting killed and killing other soldiers, hoping to kill more of their soldiers than our soldiers get killed so that they surrender. That's what war is. And yet they reported it. And then, of course, it all stopped. I think something like 70 to 75 percent of the soldiers who have died, American soldiers who have died in Afghanistan, have died under Obama. You wouldn't even know the Afghanistan war was still going on. I mean, this has been eight years of war under Obama because of his mishandling of the victory he was handed, but you don't hear about that. So this is, that's not news. Here's another one that isn't news. This was in the paper. This is the New York Times today. Little is off limits as Donald Trump plans attacks on Hillary Clinton's character. Who on earth would attack, what the, what on earth would you attack Hillary Clinton's character about? This is, this is the news. This is front page news on the New York Times that one candidate is going to attack another candidate's character. I mean, this is like war declared headlines. Here it is. Donald J. Trump plans to throw Bill Clinton's infidelities in Hillary Clinton's face on live television during the presidential debates this fall, questioning whether she enabled his behavior and sought to discredit the women involved. Mr. Trump will try to hold her accountable for security lapses at the American consulate in Benghazi, Libya, and for the death of Ambassador Jay Christopher. I mean, it goes on and on. This horrible, this horrible shock that, you know, so, someone could attack Hillary Clinton, St. Hillary Clinton. It's, it's, and they wonder why his poll numbers go up. They wonder why his poll numbers go up. It's because they stink. It's because we hate them. And when he, the, anyone they attack becomes more attractive, and not just to conservatives, not just to we all know your line. Even the left knows your line. Even the people who read the New York Times, the six people who still read the New York Times, you know, get up and say, ah, there are, there are my prejudices confirmed. That's what I love about the New York Times. I love to see everything I believe spelled out in print on the New York Times, because otherwise I might have to face the fact that none of it's true. Then there's the butler story. They're all shocked about the Butler story. Anthony Senecal, I think his name is, longtime Butler for Donald Trump, very loyal, loves loves Trump. I mean, he loves him. He, and that, that says something right there. A guy works for him and he loves him. So he's been treated well. He posted nasty things about Obama on his Facebook page. Again, from the Times, the racially tinged posts by the butler, Anthony Senecal, they were unearthed by Mother Jones, far left wing magazine, unearthed by Mother Jones. You know, this is a very big, important investigative story. They referred to Mr. Obama as a Kenyan fraud who should be hanged for treason. And here's the quote. With the last breath I draw, I will help rid this America of the scum infested in its government, Mr. Senecal wrote last May, saying that the president should be dragged from the White Mosque and hanged from the portico. Count me in. Who cares? 
Who cares? He's an ordinary guy. He's not Trump's not responsible for what his butler says. <laughs> I mean, he's an ordinary guy, clearly ticked off about Obama, went off on him. You know, if if that was if that was Obama saying that, if it was Trump himself saying that, if it, you know, if it was somebody with responsibility saying that, that would be a terrible thing to say that the president should be hanged. But but an ordinary guy has the right to say whatever he wants. So what? I, I didn't even see how that reflects on Donald Trump at all. And then there's this thing with his taxes. Okay, so Trump refuses to show his taxes. And, you know, I would prefer a candidate show his taxes. It, it's revealing. But you know they're just looking for stuff to throw at him. They're no, you know they're just looking for a way to throw at him. So George Sokolopoulos, as I called him, the George Stephanopoulos, is, challenges Trump on this, on his not revealing his taxes. Here it is. I first asked you about this in 2011, and you said you would release your tax returns then. You were thinking of running for president when President Obama releases his birth certificate. He did. Then you said you would release your tax returns when Secretary Clinton released her email. She has turned over all the emails in her possession. She didn't turn over all. There's plenty missing. I read yesterday where there are a lot of emails missing. Don't I know she's a good friend of yours, and I know you worked for him and you didn't uh, reveal it, but, uh, you know, she did not turn over her emails. There are a lot of emails missing. There were emails from her staffers missing. She turned over the emails, emails she missing has. missing all over the place. <laughs> and Trump is right. It's again, yeah. Trump is right. Let me read you. I know I read this on the air before, but let me, you know, George Stephanopoulos did, he was, he worked for Clinton, the Clinton campaign. He's in that documentary, The War Room. He recently gave $75,000 to the Clinton Foundation and didn't report it, didn't tell ABC about it. Here is a page from his own memoir, right, on the night of Clinton's reelection. I've read it before, but it's worth repeating. He says he comes in to say goodbye. He's leaving the campaign because they've won, and he goes in to say goodbye to Hillary Clinton. Quote, this was our private goodbye. She gave me a hug and held me at arm's length for an extra second, a hand on each of my shoulders, her eyes shining. We smiled through the silence. We had survived. We had won. All would be well. I love you, George Stephanopoulos, said Hillary. I love you, too, says George Stephanopoulos. I walked out the door. I mean, it's very, a tear comes to my eye. This is the guy ABC has reporting on an election in which Hillary Clinton's a candidate. You know, no corruption here. I don't see any corruption here. I'm shocked, shocked to find him asking hard questions of Donald Trump. Why would she listen to it? All right, let's get down, though, to a story today, an op-ed in the story today, in the paper today, which tells you everything, it reveals everything you need to know about the difference between the left-wing press, which is almost all the press, and the people who are supporting Trump. It's an article called Make America Great Again for the People It Was Great For Already. All right. Donald J. Trump has promised to make America great again, and people have listened. He is the presumptive Republican nominee. He got there with that one consistent campaign imperative splashed across his website on loud red baseball caps, on stickers, yard signs, and other slogan-ready paraphernalia. This is the one true, unwavering message Mr. Trump offers his supporters. He may avoid direct answers on his taxes, but he has never backtracked on the need to return the country to its previous glory. Which America is he promising to us? If you ask his supporters, they say life has gotten worse for people like them over the last 50 years. It seems safe to assume that in the eyes of Mr. Trump's overwhelmingly white male fans, America was greater a half century ago. Indeed, it was pretty great for them. Okay, that's, so that's, that is the point of view of the press. Now, let me just, you know, and, and Obama actually was selling this too. He gave a, the commencement speech at Rutgers over the weekend. Listen to him for a minute. He's saying the same when thing. When you hear someone longing for the good old days, take it with a grain of salt. 
Take it with a grain of salt. We live in a great nation, and we are rightly proud of our history. We are beneficiaries of the labor and the grit and the courage of generations who came before. But I, I guess it's part of human nature, especially in times of change and uncertainty, to want to look backwards and long for some imaginary past when everything worked and the economy hummed and all politicians were wise and every child was well-mannered and America pretty much did whatever it wanted around the world. Guess what? It ain't so. The good old days weren't all that good. All right. And he went on to say, in fact, by almost every measure, this is a quote, America is better and the world is better than it was 50 years ago or 30 years ago or even eight years ago. Well, crap. I mean, <laughs> let's, you know, I mean let's, let's face it. And this is, this is the thing he's selling. What he's selling is that his failed presidency, his failed Obamacare, his failed Middle East policy, his failed economic uh, response to the crisis, you know, it's great. It's all great. And this is what the New York Times is selling to. But let's think about this for a minute, because I'm not a nostalgia guy, okay? I, am not, I do not want America to return to her past greatness. I want her to go forward into future greatness, okay? I'm not looking to return to the morality of the 1950s, not at all. I am not. I, but, but morality, 21st century morality, I am looking for us to return to morality, and 21st century morality is still going to be morality. It's still going to involve sexual restraint. It's still going to resolve, involve the fact that freedom is better than slavery and that coercion is wrong. And this is what the left wants. The left wants absolute sexual freedom because they know it enslaves you. They know, you know, people who want sexual freedom are like adolescents who want to drive the car. I'm big enough to drive the car. Dad, ooh, I cracked it up. Would you pay for it, please? You know, that's people who want absolute sexual freedom. Is I can do anything I want. Oh, could you pay for my abortion? Could you pay for my, you know, uh, AIDS care? Could you pay for this and that? You know, it, it makes you a slave to the government. The government knows that. They want you to be as sexually free as possible. Free uh, Morality is still going to involve sexual restraint, and it's still going to involve not coercing people, which is the other thing the left wants. They want to be able to tell you what to do, what to say, what to think. They want to be able to tell you when you look at a man who says he's a woman, he's a woman instead of a man. They want you to... to to control reality, okay? So I'm not looking to go backwards. I am not looking to go backwards. I'm looking to go forward into a new morality in a new situation or an old morality in a new situation. Let's put it that way, an old morality in a new situation. But America was greater in the 50s. America was greater in the 50s than it is now. It had just one World War II. Europe, its, competitor, its main competitor was in absolute ruins. Obviously, Japan was in ruins. It was a great country. We were unified in our basic premises. You know, we we kind of all we had a consensus. We had a consensus that has fallen apart. People, I think, were happier, and and black people were mistreated. And you can never underestimate how bad that was. How bad legal segregation was. I mean, just for all for a minute, just take the time to think of yourself as a black dad or mom turning to his six-year-old son or daughter and telling him why he can't use the same restroom as everybody else, okay? That's all you have to think about to know how bad that was. We, that was shame on us. That was bad, okay? So the right, the principal right, says, fix that. We have a great country. Let's include these people that we've excluded. Let's not do that anymore, <laughs> you know? Bad on us. Let's stop. And a greater percentage of Republicans voted for the civil rights bills than the Democrats because those Southern Democrats were the guys, the Dixiecrats were the guys who were fighting for 
uh, segregation and we're fighting for Jim Crow. And, you know, the, the Democrat has been the Democrats have been the, pol- the party of racialism from slavery to affirmative action to Black Lives Matter. You know, it's the right who wants to say, no, e pluribus unum, we're all together. So we want to fix, keep the greatness and fix the bad stuff, right? That makes sense. But the left, the minute they got hold, the minute they understood that we felt shame over segregation, well-deserved shame, they have been using that to destroy the country. They, they tell us the country is bad, you don't believe me, go read their textbooks, go read their history books. They say that the country has been a force for evil from its inception, and that's the difference. That's the difference between us. When he says make America great again, those of us who believe America is great and flawed, because in all, at all times there are flaws, we think, yeah, you know, America was great, we want it to be great again. They think America wasn't great, it was only great for those white people, those nasty white people who were voting for Donald Trump. And that's the difference, and that's why his message is resonating despite his flaws as a human being, and the press is falling flat. And I have to say, you know, it's really disturbing to me that the two worst people in America are running for the highest office in the land, but if I'm here to be entertained, and the one thing that's going to be entertaining is watching Donald Trump roll over the mainstream media. They so deserve it. All right, stuff I like. This, today, this week, I'm going to do great true crime stories because there are some great true crime stories, and the first one speaks right into what we're talking about. If you haven't read The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson, this is one of the best books published in the last 10 years. There's no question about it. It is a riveting true life story about the 1893 Chicago World's Fair. So it's 1893 when basically America is just rising up. It's coming out of the, you know, the Civil War. It's becoming this great industrial power. The world, the West is basically at its peak. That is the peak of Europe, 1893. It's all this uh, new technology. And he's building this. It's about the guy who built the architect who's building the Chicago World's fair. He's building a world. It's a wonders. This is a display of wonders. And in the midst of it, this evil, evil serial killer is operating with impunity and nobody knows he's there. It's soon going to be a movie, I think, with Leonardo DiCaprio. But before that happens, read this book because it is spectacular. And it shows you this vision that in the midst of civilization, we are still sinful creatures doing terrible things. And it's not, you don't tear down civilization to get to that bad guy at its heart. You know, you just go after the bad guy and you keep building civilization. And that's the difference between the right and the left. The devil in the white city, great, great true crime story uh, to it's, it really is one of the best books of the last 10 years. That's it. That's it. And the week is now beginning. Radio Free America is on the air. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Come back tomorrow and we'll do it again. 